I know you from the stand-up comedy world. You're a very funny comedian. Why, thank you, sir. You're, you're very good, and you check him out. He's, uh, you're all over the internet. Joe White, look him up. You told me something that uh, scared the shit out of me. You told me that once upon a time when you were a young kid, uh, I'm not sure whether you were in Sudan or Ethiopia, but your mother was, uh, forgive me if I'm crossing the line, but... Uh, I think your mo- you were homeless and your mother had tied you up with a rope and your sister with oh, a rope. You, you, so you better no get to the ending quick because it makes it sound like mom was trying to like feed us to the wolves or something. <laughs> she tied you and your sister. Well, she was trying to keep you away from the wolves to use your proverbial speech because they were trying to keep you away from kidnappers and you would all fall asleep and kidnappers would actually kidnap kid. Can you paint that picture again for us because that freaked me the fuck out oh, i did it sorry man no <coughs> please don't apologize no so uh what happened was uh we we there was a stage where we were in the countryside like the, the countryside of uh sudan and then uh, we due to our like circumstances there we had to move to the capital city which was Khartoum, and when we got there, because we didn't have any... F- what were the circumstances that moved you from Sudan, where you were living, to yep. move towards the capital? Was it was it war breaking out, or was it famine? or War, circumst- but in our family, not an actual like civil war. Uh, so from Ethiopia, a civil war broke out in Ethiopia, and that's what made my mom and dad flee to Sudan. Okay. And then in the countryside, uh, you know, we had a nice place... We had, uh, you know, goats and animals that, you know, we, we ate or we, uh, my dad used to breed and sell. Um, my dad had a job. Uh, and so we were, we were a happy family for, you know, um, maybe like the first three years of my life, right? So you're three years old at this stage. Yeah, and okay. so when things probably started to go wrong, I was probably around the age of three. Yeah. Uh, and then... Um, they went wrong for about an, a few more years, um, and then when I say they went wrong, um, so my dad, uh, due to a house fire, so one of our uh, we had like um, house uh, servant, for example, we had um, one lady that used to take care of the kids or help mom with the kids, and she used to cook, clean, and so we were well off. And then uh, a fire, she had accidentally started a fire in the house. That fucking bitch. <laughs> fucking hell. It's all her fault. <laughs> she accidentally started a fire in the house. and uh, How did she accidentally start a fire? Uh, I think she was making uh, traditional Ethiopian coffee. And uh, you have to, uh, the way it's, I don't know if you've had it. But oh. the way it's made, it's very ceremonial. You know, it's, uh, it's incredible. You have to try it. Wait, um, I have to ask. <laughs> press stop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it similar to Greek coffee, which is very muddy-like at the base? Mm, muddy-like. It's muddy, yeah. It's like a thick paste. At, at the, the very bottom? At the bottom. It congeals at the bottom. Well, that depends. Do you and like... continually stir it to bring it to the boil, and it froths up. And as it begins to froth up, we stop it, and then it's a thicker liquid we pour it into a cup and then it settles down the bottom into a mud paste and does it come in like small glasses or yeah small close yeah because i'm just thinking there must be similar traits from ethiopia spanning across into 
the Middle East and across to Greece mm. back in the day. But anyway, so yeah, she was preparing ceremonial <clears throat> Ethiopian yeah. coffee. What does that involve? Oh, man. Let me just get mum on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I can you tell you, to, I can tell you how to enjoy it. Isn't there a Nescafe you sit there, Ethiopia version? You sit there. <laughs> the the tradition is you sit there, you bring goss, right, and you gossip about people or uh, just whatever, but you have to contribute. And then the person who knows how to make the coffee, which is usually mum, she will make the coffee, she will pour it, she gives it to me, and I just sit there and contribute with goss. That's the part that I play, so, but I don't know how to make it. Like, mum would be, uh, you know, the person uh, to uh, probably to uh, walk you through that process. But this lady was making it and uh, accidentally uh, started a fire. And mum only had a chance to collect, um, I think it was myself and my older brother that were inside the house and uh, didn't have much to grab anything else. So that right? quick. That quick. Because the house that we had uh, in, in the countryside where we lived it was made out of sticks, but it was like a huge hut. It was huge. Uh, um, and uh, when it caught fire, it was just instant, right? Yeah, it's matches. It's fine. Yeah. So she only grabbed me and my brother, so everything else got burnt in there. Jewelry, pictures, birth certificates. Um, everything got burnt, right? So when my dad came home, he was like, well, everything's gone to shits and... We pretty much had to start all over again, and that sent him into a path of, uh, you know, depression and drinking, and he became an alcoholic, and that led to abuse, uh, led to uh, him being physically abusive uh, with my mom, um, you know, uh, fully grown man hitting her, trying to, um, you know, just hit her with his hands, but also with weapons. Um, he just became a really angry alcoholic man. Holy shit, man. Yeah, and then I remember... Was there, were there any attributes of that behavior prior to the fire? Because it, it seems such a cliff drop to just behave that way. Surely your mum must have been akin to certain types of traits with possessed within him before the fire where mm. it was abusive, maybe verbal abuse. Uh, yeah, well, look, in, in, in uh, that part of Africa at that time, um, it's a patriarchal society, you know, so... It's like a woman stays home, cook, clean, have babies. Man is in charge. He goes to work, comes back, and whatever he says goes. He's the boss. He's in charge of you. If he decides to hit you, it's okay. Uh, so women can't report to any like police or it's just you the can, way it was back then. You can report it because it's still a, a human injuring another human, um, and he will get in trouble. But if you, you have to report it to the right people. Because a lot of people don't really care. They just go, well, you probably misbehaved, you know. Um, Fuck. Yeah, it's crazy, man. It's Who would you report it to? The, the church? Would the, would, it, would a priest get involved? Or is it because would the police do nothing? Because it'd be like, we're not interested in domestic violence. It's not really a thing here. Um, look, they. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in how. Like, this is just talking from my own personal yeah, experience. Sure. But, um, like, the, the police there, if you get the right copper, then... You know, they will they will act quickly and they'll make sure uh, that you're okay. But if you get most of the time, if you get the person that's just like, yeah, this is not a thing that that's really a thing here, just uh, you know, behave and he'll leave you alone. Like most of them are like that. Um, but with him, um, you know, so there would have been traits of him probably being verbally aggressive. Maybe uh, mom doesn't really. Uh, doesn't talk a lot about before 
um, you know, the whole alcoholic. She doesn't really, it's only recently that I started asking her questions about our life in Sudan. Um, but with that, I'm pretty sure there would have been trace because he's, he's from, he, he used to be in the war, uh, yeah. the ethnic, uh, not ethnic war, the civil war in Ethiopia. He used to be part of that before escaping to Sudan. So if you're coming from a place like that, you're not mentally all there, let's be honest. Okay, so the house fire pretty much m- turned him into Darth Vader, like the extreme yeah. case where he just fucking lost it and your mum could no longer stand it. Yeah, well, so it's she- the alcohol, really. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, um, he became like a, a very big, um, like a, he was a, an alcoholic for sure. Um, every night he would get like mega pissed um, and then he'll come home random hours, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., whatever, and he'll just be angry, you know, blame everyone for his problems. Uh, he'll blame her. He'll hit her. 1 a.m. we could be asleep. This guy will come into the door and will come through the door, kick the door down and start, you know, hitting on everyone. And Holy fuck. Yeah, so it was one of those. And, and I would have been around probably five, uh, five, four, five when the madness really started and I started to absorb it. Really? Do you have memories of that? Yeah, 100%, man. Really? When I was probably about uh, six, seven years old, my dad uh, used to be the type that would be like, all right, you and your brother are now men. And because you're men, you have to protect the family and the house from people jumping in and breaking into the house. So you need to sleep outside the house. So me and my brother would get a knife each, my older brother, and we would sleep outside the house. So we will, he will take our beds and he'll put them outside the house. And he'll say, you sleep outside. And we're sitting there like five, seven years old. And we're going, oh man, I'm shitting my pants right. In a tent? Nah, just outside. Exposed to the elements. Fuck. Yeah, so that was my dad. Uh, and around when I was probably the first time I, I got like uh, pissed, drunk, I was probably about six years old. So my dad would take me to uh, an alcohol house and he'll be like, you're a man, you can drink now as well. And he will give me, uh, it's called Degga back then, but... In Australia, you know, I, I had Baileys and I'm like, man, this tastes familiar. And I'm like, holy oh. crap, it was Baileys. <laughs> so, What's uh, it called? Degga. Degga, yeah. So every time I drink Baileys, I'm like, this is the exact... Because, you know, Baileys is like sweet and goes down really easy. Oh, mate, it's fucking gorgeous. Yeah. So when I was young, so I was you, smashing that. Degga at six. So you were getting pissed at six. On Baileys, yeah. yeah you should have migrated to Frankston. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been sweet. Yeah. I'll be right home. Yeah, so I'd get pissed, uh, and then he'd bring me home, and I wouldn't know what it is. Obviously, it's just so sweet, and I'd scull I'd come home, and I'd be drunk, and I'd cry, because I'm not feeling 100%, mm. and then mom would be like, what have you done to my child, you know, and then domestic will start again. I can't believe it that you were six years old, sleeping outdoors with a knife, pissed on Baileys. <laughs> How many six-year-olds can <laughs> say that was their childhood? <laughs> Fuck yeah. me. Now that you put it like that, I'm like, holy shit. I never really looked at it Dude, like that. what a cooked upbringing. And what a fine young gentleman you've become. Oh, man. All that yeah. turmoil. Thanks to my mom, man. She's yes. a strong woman. Fucking women, man. Yeah. Solid as fuck. My mom as well was a huge influence in my life. My father, my poor father, worked in a factory for like 13, 14 hours a day. Yeah. It was my mother that was always there. She worked eight hours a day, came home, 
and had an invested interest in me. And it was that powerful, strong woman mm. as a presence in the house that made me who I am today. Yeah. So I think I'm in touch with my feminine side because of my mom. That's beautiful. There's man. nothing wrong with that. No, there isn't. Um, you know, so that... back to your story, man. So this happened at six and your mum left. She decided I've got to get out of here. No, so at probably when I was uh, maybe seven, eight years old, uh, there was a night where dad came home really drunk, probably about maybe 2 a.m. in the morning and we were all asleep and he woke us up. Uh, he was very angry. He had a sword and he was trying to hit mum with the sword. A fucking sword? Yeah, like an actual sword. And oh, she one was, of those curvy ones? Uh, nah, nah. You're like, like a King Arthur sword? <laughs> yeah, like really? a long one, yeah. Where the fuck it's, did he get a King Arthur sword in Ethiopia or the, Sudan? This guy, in a hut. <laughs> he had it in a hut, this guy. Do you have um, cash converters there? <laughs> like some... <laughs> Some fucking knight on drugs sold it? Well, I How don't know. Maybe happen? maybe he bought it with him, but um, I don't even remember it being around the house because otherwise, you know, kids, you would have played around with it. Jeez, that's cool. But yeah, he had that sword and he was trying to hit everyone and uh, mum uh, was screaming, so we woke up from her screams and we were all running around her and like she was like holding us and trying to protect us from him and we were running around the bedrooms and hiding behind the bed and under the bed and... He'd be like, go back to sleep to the kids and we'll pretend to be asleep and play dead or something, you know. And he, mom will be screaming and my older brother, he, he, you know, he would jump out of the, like crawl out of, fall off the bed and crawl out, pretend to be like asleep. He would fall off the bed and then he would just crawl out and went and notified the neighbors of what was happening. And the neighbors uh, called the police there and the police came instantly. Um, and this is what I remember, right? So the police came instantly, kicked the door down, grabbed him, put him on the floor, got his wallet out, and they were looking at his wallet. And mom's just holding all of us, like you know, with her, like with her arms, trying to field us from whatever was happening. And the police go, "Who's this guy?" And uh, she's like, "Oh, that's their dad." And they go, um, "Like, do you want him?" And she said, "No, he's hurting us. We don't want him." And, uh, yeah, never saw my dad again. And that was when I was, like, probably seven, eight years old. I'm 35 now. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. I mean, we've got great d judicial processes here, but how great would it be if the cops just break the door down here for a domestic abuser and go, do you want him, sweetheart? No. <laughs> All right. And you never see him again. Yeah, never saw him again. It was insane. So to this day, to this day, you know, it's only wow. You don't know what your father came of, became of, to this day. No, but here's wow. the thing. Here's did the thing. Did they kill him? So, um, we didn't know. Probably, I'm 35 now. Probably at 32, maybe or 33. Uh, mom. So after, uh, so I don't want to get, I don't want to get um digressed from. Uh, I don't want to digress from how we got to uh, Sudan and mom tied us with ropes. I'll take so, you to yeah. that. Don't worry. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. So because uh, after 30 years plus of not being in Ethiopia or seeing her family, mom decided after we settled in Australia to go back home to try and find her family. Yeah. And while she was there, she found our dad in Ethiopia right, and okay. made, made contact with him because we thought he was dead, right? We thought they took him and sent him to the war and he died in the war. But she went to Ethiopia and she found him. This is after. Th this is when I was like 32 years old, so like three years ago. Yeah, and and so she well, 
three, my timing could be bad. Maybe not three, maybe That's a little right. bit more than three years. But yeah, she found him in Ethiopia. He's, he's got another family there oh. and he's just chilling. <laughs> so they castrated him? No, they didn't because he's got another family. Apparently he's got like four kids there and uh, he's, uh, yeah, he's still, still an alcoholic. Um, and she tried really hard to, you know, connect him with us and stuff. But Do you have anything to say to him? Uh, or are you probably a lot, you know, I have yeah. a lot to say to him. Um, because remember, this is like, this is someone that's supposed to be, you know, your protector, your, your superhero, your superhero. At exactly. Your, I mean, that's your father. No matter what Fuck happens, yeah. even if he's not in your life, if someone goes, Oh, who's your dad? Or who, who are your parents? This is the man that you'll be thinking about and talking about. Yeah. Your I, parents are your sun and your moon. They're yeah. everything in, in your life. Yeah, so uh, in terms of whether I have a lot to say to him or not, I definitely have a lot to say to him. Mm. And, you know, I look forward to hopefully going back to Ethiopia and visiting and and uh, it will probably be too emotional. Um, but, you know, I hope to get it to get it done before he passes. Uh, he's pretty old and fragile, so uh, I definitely want to get there and have a word. Yeah, in terms of, sorry if I'm pushing the envelope, but That's all right. what would you want to say to him? Would you want closure? Would you would you be forgiving in your heart? Or would you be like, look at me, player, throw cash in his face and go, I am headlining. <laughs> I'm headlining. I've got cash. Sold out. I've met the premier. Yeah. I'm killing it, bro. Yeah. Look. <laughs> Which angle would you take? Um, well, it depends uh, when you're asking me. Like right now, I'm a, in a much better place in my life, you know, in terms of personal growth. Um, so right now I would, I would definitely, uh, want to just talk to him. And, uh, if I was, if I was to see him in, in, in regard to what I would say to him, I would just ask what happened, you know, like what happened for you to, yeah for things to go that bad, like to go that south. Why? Um, why, what happened? Um, why didn't you make contact, I guess? Why didn't you? Uh, you know, why don't you try harder to yeah. try and connect, to try and fix yourself and connect to, you know, because I'm pretty sure, you know, second chances would have been given if he fixed himself first and wasn't like trying to hurt us. But so why would be a big thing? Why? What I mean, the common theme you've told me is that he was blaming you guys. He was blaming um, your, your mum and you and, and the servant. For mm. the circumstances that he was in, so yeah, he wasn't taking ownership of his own. He wasn't owning his own life and his own. Yeah, so that's uh, why was he such a coward? I guess yeah, all those yeah. questions. And also, just like now as an adult, I understand that alcoholism is a disease, you know, and it's a it's a big thing. Like, like I'm not an alcoholic, so I would go, oh, so why don't you just stop drinking? It's not that hard. But man, it's like now I see it, I understand that I'm able to read, write, and critically think and make my own you know, um, assumption or decision or uh, have my own opinion, I guess, on things. And, you know, I've looked into it and it's a real problem. So now I understand um, that he, he ha he's got a disease and still has and can't beat it. Even though his life's on the line, he doesn't care, you know. so Yeah, they can't stop, man. Yeah, so it's like he's got his own demons now. I'm in a better place now, better space with my loved ones. Um, and, you know, everything happens for a reason. And if he didn't leave us, if things didn't play out the way they played out, who knows? I might be back home being a bloody uh, goat herder. You never know, man. Instead, I'm here doing comedy, doing things that I love, making people laugh. And, you know, my siblings are doing well. They're happy. So, 
So thanks for belting up mum, dad, because uh, you sent yeah. to Australia. Yeah. This huge no. career. Yeah, I know what you're 100%. talking about, the fragility of life, the chaos theory, like a butterfly flaps its wings and all this shit happens on the other side of the world. It could be, man. It could be like that. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. Um, so back to the story, your mum uh, left. She wanted to go to the capital. So when the cops took dad and we never saw him again, mum decided, okay, we need to make a move from here. And let's go to the capital. Let's so apply. So you were heading to Khartoum. Yeah. So we went to Khartoum, which is the capital Sudan. capital city of Sudan. Yeah. And at this point in time, everything has been lost in the fire. Yeah. Everything. The servant has fucked off because she's like, "Oh, oh, I can't explain this. They've got no insurance. <laughs> I'm fucking out." Yeah. There's no such thing as insurance. Yeah. No. So she's bailed. She's gone. So yeah. it's your mum and the two of you. So there's six of us. Okay. Wow. So a single mum of six and kids. Off you yeah. go. So, mom uh, sold whatever we had left. And no vehicle? No, no. You ha- we paid for like a bus ride, pretty much. Okay. So, you pay for a bus ride and uh, they take you and drop you off wherever you need to go. Fuck. Yeah, I think mom met um, a, a guy that explained to her that there is a thing called the United Nations and they can help you get out of this country to go to another foreign country where you have opportunities, not just for you, but for your kids. Um, so, mom's like, well, let's give it a crack, you know? Wow, yeah. fucking amazing. So, so your mum sets off at night to catch a bus ride to get to the capital to seek out the United Nations to seek asylum or refuge in another country. Yeah. Fucking yeah. hell, man. Yeah, so she took a big risk. And I guess a lot of... Um, Is this 82, 83? Man, I have no idea. I was born 86, so it wouldn't be around that. It would probably be... Because we came to Australia in 98. So this was... uh Okay. It would have been late 80s. Mid 90s. Okay. Mid 90s. Unbelievable. Your mum is being tested (laughs) as a person. Everything, her back is up against the wall, and I'm watching Pulp Fiction, smoking joints. (laughs) I had hair down to my shoulders, fingering girls at Frankston Beach. (laughs) Meanwhile, your mum is undergoing one of the most toughest challenges of her life. Dude, what a. That's crazy. And that's in one world as well, all these different things happening. Blissful earth, man. That's crazy. That's why I don't complain about my life. No matter how hard it gets, knock on wood. Yeah. uh, I speak to people like yourself and others with fantastic stories. My mum, including, having come to this country when she was 19 years old. Yeah. uh, They're the real challenges. Yeah. Um, And I think, anyway, I digress. So, uh, your mum sets off at night, all of you go, and you're leading up to the story when she tied you all up in rope to stop people kidnapping you. Yeah. So, we went to, uh, we, we got to Sudan. And uh, oh, we got to Khartoum and it was just very hard to find accommodation. It was very hard to find a job. Um, and, you know, Sudan, it was under Sharia law. It still is. And uh, Can you educate me a bit? Sharia law, is that man, strict, strict Islam code? It's very strict, yeah, especially on women. Um, especially on women that are not Muslim. Um, in Sudan, you know, there is like, so if the you're... Muslim if, country? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's the most Muslim country. If you're not the most Muslim country, I don't have the statistical data to back that up. But it's I thought very Meadows is the most Muslim country <laughs> in the world. <laughs> I think it just depends who's got the most amount of mosques. Whoever's got the most amount of mosque wins. That's the biggest Muslim country. <laughs> so it's uh, under Sharia law, if you're, if you're like a woman 
Like, it gets pretty hard, man. If you're a woman, it's harder for you than it is for men, right? No shit. If you're uh, a, a woman that's not Muslim... They punish you for that. Well, not the, not the system punishing you, but people will frown upon if you're not Muslim because it's mainly a Muslim country. Um, yeah, so the clergy encourages you to fucking diss on women that aren't Muslim so they can will them across? Um, well, I, I don't, again, I don't have the uh, correct backing to go, yeah, you're right. Uh, but from what I see, the disadvantages mum faced as a woman, as someone who wasn't Muslim, as someone who wasn't Sudanese. So we weren't Sudanese. You could tell by just looking at us that we were Ethiopians, and which means you're an out-of-towner. Okay, right? so the, the deck is stacked against your mum. Yeah. And that's why she couldn't find accommodation. She couldn't find a job. She couldn't get... And so all these things were... All these forces were conspiring against her. So is that yeah. where she had to, like, seek refuge on the street? So she was an out-of-towner, a, a woman, not Muslim, sure. but also had six kids. Yep. Right? And remember, we weren't, like, teenagers. The eldest at the time would have been bloody 13, maybe. Hmm. Right? And a female. So mom had to really keep an eye on my older sister and do our best to make sure we that my sisters don't get kidnapped, they don't get raped, which was a big thing, uh, especially if you were so vulnerable, not only to the elements because we were homeless, but to like thieves, uh, to traf- child traffickers. Um, and so there was many nights where yeah, we slept uh, outside the church because we try to sleep inside the church, but they're like, nah, kick them out. You know, so we're like, we're, man, it's it's just so corrupt over there, you know. They, so inside the church is like, you have to pay money? To, do you have to bribe the priest um, to sleep in a church? It, I think it's just because they felt that we were making it look bad because we were homeless kids. And okay. one, they're like, no one wants to see this, you know, when they're trying to pray, kick them out. Yeah. Or uh, no one wants to see homeless people staying inside the church at night, kick them out. That so, is such an antithesis of the teachings of a dude called Jesus Christ, isn't <laughs> it? Like, Jesus the hipster, who I love, yeah. was just like, hey man, just fucking love each other and be kind to one another and, you know? Yeah. It's so against it. Like, it's amazing what re- like what the what religion has become. Like, it's just mm. so fucking anti, oh, don't let them in the church, keep them on the outskirts, it, give us, it gives us a bad name and all this bullshit. Yeah, and this was coming from the higher powers, man. This was coming from the priests. Saying, kick them out, kick them out, right? Yeah, the archdiocese. Yeah, and then we have, but then you have uh, people who are deacons or just members of the church who are regulars that they see the situation of a single mom and six six children and they're like, nah, we got to do something to help them. So I I remember this one dude where he would, even though they would go take this food and throw it in the bin, don't give it to the homeless people, um, he would go, no worries, he'll put it in a rubbish bag. And he'll pretend he'll he's throwing it out, but he'll sneak it around, and he'll call us over. Like he'd whistle and call us over, six of us, and we would go because we knew him. His name is Futsum. We're like Futsum, and he'll be like, "Yeah, come over, eat." And we'll start. He's like, "Eat quickly before they see us," you know. And we'll start eating all this leftover food, and he used to feed us like that while mum was gone, right? And this guy, he wasn't like rich himself. He he had his own family. They lived in terrible situations. He was also in poverty, but he had enough to help. And he was helping with what he can to these kids, right? Now that we're in Australia, I actually tracked him. 
because we lost contact with him for over Footsie. 12 years. <laughs> we tracked him down, you know, and I sent him money, man. I sent him like the first time I tracked him down, I think I sent about $1,500, which oh there, which is like a lot of money for him. That's so. like, he's got a set of grills now. Yeah. <laughs> it was balling and all because, you know what? I never forgot, man. That's so beautiful, man. I'm like, you know, I'm going to help this dude when I get out of this situation. And Fuck. I didn't even know I was going to come to Australia. So when I came here, I'm like, I'm not going to forget. So... And I'm still sending him money now. So. That's great. Yeah, so helping him out. That's so beautiful, man. It's so good that, yeah, in amongst all this evil, there's good, you know? Good will prevail and yeah. someone will help you out. It's just, it's beautiful. It's touching. Yeah, so... So he fed you and they sustained you and... At night, they'll kick us out of the church. Yeah. So we slept outside. And whose idea was it? Who told you, oh, look, it's, it's a good idea to tie a rope around your waist and tie all your children all up because child traffickers... Um, I don't think anyone told her to it do it. Just she was just like... Given, a given piece of knowledge that existed on the streets? Of it wasn't... No, it wasn't a given piece of knowledge. It's just because she was the uh, the only mum with kids that was homeless and so many kids as well. Um, there were Also, there was other homeless people around, but there were men. Uh, there were teenagers. Um, and then there's just opportunists who are like roaming the streets at night and then they see a young girl that they want to kidnap and rape or kidnap and traffic right so at night when we're sleeping we woke up to screamings of like someone trying to take my sister my older sister and so we would get up and we would fight them off and then we would go back to our circle and mom obviously you know adrenaline rushing you know she'll be like okay you guys sleep i'll stay awake and keep you safe so but were you waking up to the tugging of someone trying to not me because your sister my sisters yeah trying so, to pry your sister loose yeah well not pry her loose but this is before the time of the rope just trying to kidnap her just trying to Jesus. take her trying to attack her um and we wake up to screams so we hear the screams and everyone be like wake up wake up wake up and you'll wake up and you instantly have to go into fight mode you know uh or you look at mum it's fight or flight so whatever mum does we do so if she runs that way we run that way if she's fighting then we all jump in to try and help right um and so we a couple of times i woke up to the screams of like my sister screaming and and mom screaming and you know so then we know uh, we have to do something because something is happening and we by the time you process it it's like you gotta you're already in it by the time you process what is happening you know is your seven years of age now uh oh yeah around the eight nine maybe because i came to australia eight, when nine. i was 11 yeah being you you seem like a very well put together human being. Do you have any sort of PTSD from that? Like, does it manifest itself in any way? Like, do you have? Um, no, I don't have. That's amazing if you don't. Like, yeah, you've come through such a like horrific story, uh, and there's no. Yeah, I definitely had to. Um, I think we all need coming from that part of that background. We, I reckon, my whole family we need to do therapy and. Because there's so many of us, it's going to be an arm and a leg, let's be honest. So I love it. What do we have? I swear, man, <laughs> African communities, you're like wogs. It's like, there's six of us. We can't all go through therapy. It's too expensive. <laughs> Choose one. All right, I'll go first. <laughs> Fucking gold. Um, but we're going to do it. And I reckon we should, even if you, that's the thing with, when you have some sort of uh, mental, when you have traumas that happen to you. And you're like, no, nah, nothing. There's no impact. I'm well put. And then you do things certain type of way. And you're like, why am I doing it that way? Oh, no, I don't know. Why am I repeating the same mistake that's hurting me? And then you're like, maybe this is to do with my past, you know? Yeah, so yeah. you have to address it so that you can be better. Why don't you do it um, 
make money from it. Kill two birds with one stone. Get a really good psychologist live mm. on stage. Yeah. And you do therapy live on stage talking about it like we are with a live audience. And you can find funny stuff as you're going along and you can get therapy and you can charge ticket prices. Dude, this is... <laughs> this is two birds, one stone. Get it all done in one This hit. is some next level ethnic thinking. That's uh, <laughs> you're, you're making money and dealing with your traumas. Yes. And people are going, yeah, I want to hear about this trauma. Win-win. Um, so with, with that situation, because it kept happening, so mom is like, she can't stay up all night, right? So then she's like, well, I got to somehow protect these kids. Here, we've just got security alarm in our houses. You know, beep, beep, beep. No one can come in. If anyone comes in, the alarm goes off. There, we have no such thing. So she tied uh, uh, a rope, but also like uh, clothes to our legs and our limbs pretty much, and then tied it to her so that if anyone tries to take us, she would get, like, it would wake her up. Or it wouldn't be easy to just take us and, and uh, you know, um, and run off with us. So... She did that. She tied us, and uh, yeah, some nights we would wake up and people were trying to take us, uh, and that was that was yeah pretty hard. And when we when I came here, it's like you don't really think about how messed up that situation uh, situation was oh. until you're doing a podcast and you're going through it, and you're like, holy shit, yeah, well, oh man, that's next level. It's unfathomable to a child like myself growing up in wonderful, peaceful, blissful <laughs> Australia. This really is one of the luckiest countries on the planet. Mm. And there was there was another time where we were actually taken, right? And uh, so mom was tricked. Uh, there was a like a a boarding school, and they're like, "Yeah, put your kids in there. Let us have your kids, and we will look after them. And then we'll give them beds, house, a uh, place to sleep in, food in their stomach. We will teach them. And then you can come visit any time until you get your things together. You get a house and everything." And then you can take them. And mom's like, oh, okay, this sounds sweet. So she put us in this house. And then uh, in that house, we were literally getting tortured pretty much. You know, we were, uh, they were starving us. Uh, we were sleeping in horrible conditions. They were making us sleep outside. It's like so many times I slept outside in my life. Right? They to, were making, to what end? Why? So um, they were making us sleep outside. And then... Uh, why, why though? What To what end? What was their... What was their objective in this boarding house? Did they want to break you? Did they? To what end? Like, what was their aim? Um, they just didn't care. I guess. Were they trying to build soldiers of the, the future, like strong men or w- strong men and women? Like, what was their aim? Why? You know, I I honestly ask why that qu- that the question why throughout my whole experiences. I'm like, you know, why is uh, why did this happen? Why did that happen? So. I have no idea why, and I would love to, to find out why, but it's just one of those where it's a situation we were in. There was a few, there was a lot of other kids there with no parents as well, and they were all getting put So it's through. like an orphanage? Uh, no one was getting adopted from there. Okay. So it wasn't an orphanage, um, but it was like a boarding school. So it was kids where the government gave the, ki- the, the, or, the, or, um, the school money to look after these kids. And they were meant to teach you a curriculum? Yeah, so they're meant to teach you, look after you, and then when you're old enough, I guess, let you be on your way. Yeah. But that wasn't the case. And I guess maybe the way I see it is like they wanted six of us because it meant a huge lump sum from the government right. to them, right? So that, that, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. So and then once you're in there, they don't give a fuck what happens to you. Yeah. Yes. In fact, if they treat you like shit, maybe you'd run away. 
but yeah. they still keep the money and they get another six kids. They wouldn't they wouldn't let you run away because if you leave then they lose uh, they lose the ongoing lose money. The ongoing money. So, yeah. yeah, so um at times it was so horrible to the point where we would be so scared, some of us, and we will pee the bed, right? And then um if you peed the bed, what they will make you do as a punishment is they will make you pee in a bucket and they will make you drink your pee to try and teach you never to pee the bed again. But you're peeing the bed because you're outside exposed to the elements getting bitten by mosquitoes and you're shitting your pants because you're scared of what might come and grab you or take you. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just one of those where no one really looked after you. And when mum came, and, and they belted you as well. So if you, let's say if you were eating and you didn't eat, you didn't grab the food and eat with the right mannerism, then you have to report to the office where they belted you. Yeah, right. Right? And this happened on the regular. Mm. And so we complained to my mom and mom was like, oh, okay, well, this is crap. So mom complained to uh, the management and she wanted to get us out and they said no. And in fact, they made it, they put in a, com- a formal complaint against mom and made it look out like, made it look like mom was not mentally stable anymore to look after us and they banned her from coming. And they said, we're protecting the kids from her now. So mom was like, no, no, like I'm saying I want my kids back because you guys are torturing them and they're complaining to me. And they're like, no, 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 this woman is not sane anymore and she can't come to this place anymore. But mom was like, nah, stuff this. These are my children. I'm going to keep coming and you can do whatever you want to me. So mom, I remember times where mom would come and I'd see her and I'd be like, oh, mom's here. And I'll call everyone over and we will run and we wait for the gates to open, but they don't open. And so we can't work out why she wasn't coming in and she'll just be by the fence and we'll hug her through the fence and we'll just be like, oh, why are you coming in? And she's like crying, going, I can't come in, but, you know, very soon I will, uh, you know, but how are you guys in there? And we will talk and, um, yeah, it's not really until, you know, I talk about it, then I go, holy shit, you know, that is some, some next level shit. Why couldn't she have access to her children? What was the reasoning? Uh, that they were giving her oh they were just being vindictive you know because she put in a complaint that they were torturing us in there and they didn't like that she complained okay sure yeah, yeah. and then she wanted Fuck. to get us out so that the torture can stop and then they're like no no it's not us it's her she's not mentally all there and remember this is a you know a single mom of six kids who potentially lives on the streets doesn't have like a registered address struggle is struggling to get a job um comes from an abusive relationship so, and, and she's up against an organization. So this organization can manipulate, they can, there's a lot of corruption back home as well and so, say that she's not mentally all there and it's for the benefits of the kids. So how did she get you, uh, how did she get you all out of there? Man, my mom has this thing with people where, like you have to meet her for, for you to understand what I mean. When she sees you, you will instantly feel like you're one of her sons, man. A certain just, gravitas? Yeah, she'll just she'll just love on you, man. She'll just be like, Oh, hello my son, how are you? Mwah, mwah, mwah. Come sit down, eat, eat, eat. How are you? Oh, so thank you for coming to my house. <laughs> Even though you're that's like my fucking mum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a your mum, yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. And you just go, Oh, what's just your balls of love. Yeah. And she just she showers you with it and she just wants to and you'd want to help her. So yeah. she found um So she bent them around to her will. Yeah. I guess. Fantastic. So she got you out of there? She got us out of there, yeah. She she um And in the meantime, while you're incarcerated in there, 
she's applying through United Nations to get you the fuck out of there. Yeah. Okay, so she gets you out. It marries with her paperwork aligning for Melbourne, or for Perth. Perth, yeah. And you head off so to we... Perth to Girraween, which is another suburb <laughs> of uh, Sudan. <laughs> uh, if you don't know Girraween, it's a fucking toilet. Or was it toilet? <laughs> it's getting better. I say that because before I used to go on mining tours in WA, I'd stay there for a bit. And it was dodgy, but... Yeah. Yeah. I always say, uh, yeah, we went from Sudan to Girawin, so one trauma to another. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But this one had the, the help of Centrelink, you know, yeah. <laughs> where in Sudan there was no such thing. How Here. good is Centrelink? Oh, my, my dude, God. It's heaven. C- Centrelink is fucking heaven. Yeah, we're like, shit, free money. I think I, I read somewhere that a, a teacher in Ethiopia makes like $100 a month. And then here in Centrelink, you know, we were getting like the 600 or uh, more, uh, you know, f- a fortnight mm. uh, for a single mom and six kids. So mom's like, oh, this free money. Yeah. We, we pretty much went from poverty to millionaires, if you think about it. Yeah, I don't want to do your joke in front of you, but <laughs> I really felt it was a beautiful, touching moment. Really cleverly written piece of stand-up, which is, I think, uh, solely your stuff, which makes you unique when... Uh, you were describing on stage what it's like to be in quarantine. And it's like, why is everyone complaining? I'm getting a hotel room for 14 days. I've got fucking air con, yeah. pay TV. Yeah. After your experiences in life, absolutely. Everything in life is about perspective. Dude, it, it is about perspective. Learn 100%. to see life from someone else's point of view. And then it'll make you a lot more humble about your own troubles yeah a hundred percent man and so yeah now when mom complains about like the water bill or anything like that i'm like dude you remember you didn't even have a house yeah uh, to pay a water bill you know so at least like let's be happy but yeah when we came here and you know we were getting centering and uh, you know mom would uh you know finally make contact with like family that she found back home and it's crazy, man, because like I said, you're doing nothing and you're getting money from the government. Um, so phoning back home and telling them how much you're getting and they're like, wow, what are you doing for a living now? And you're like, it's the thing. We're doing nothing. It's just, you're getting just free handouts, you know, but that's to help you obviously get uh, on your feet. Absolutely. And do you think, um, has that contributed to the fact that everyone wants to come to Australia? We have a big problem with refugees. Like a lot of people want to come here. So because of how good it is, mm. do, do you think? It's not even... Or do you um, think it's a fact of people just have to leave their dire situation wherever mm. they are? And they're like, we, we've heard great things about Australia. We have to go there. Yeah. Or just get the fuck out of here. Yeah, a lot of the time it's just because where they're, where they're living or where they're coming from, it's unbearable now, you know, mm. it's life or death situation. Yeah. Um, it's not like a very, uh, um, it's not like um, here, you know, so if, if, if there's a, a place where you could go where you have the freedom to, uh, I guess, live peacefully, have food in your stomach and a roof over your head and not worry about uh, corrupt politicians coming into your house or and not worry about, um, you know, law and order disappearing overnight. Next thing you know, you're exposed to, you know, armed robbers and, and riots and whatever. Um, if someone's like, yeah, there's a better life on the other side of the world, yeah, you'd go. Yeah. You know, but a lot of a lot of people who come over here, it's not because life is sweet there, but they're like, nah, it's sweeter here. It's more because life is shit over there. And then yes. they're like, we need something better. Life is also difficult here. I, I, I look. I, I must. I, I was 
I understood that when uh, during lockdown I was working at uh, Woolies and we had a boss who wouldn't padlock. Uh, he would forget to padlock the dumpster bin. Mm. And when I'd finish work at one in the morning, there'd be a line of people at the back of Woolies just going through the dumpster bin, pulling out food. Yeah. No shit, man. And I was like, whoa, I am fucking living such a comfortable life. Mm. Like I'm in fucking Coburg. Yeah. And there's like four or five people going through a dumpster bin, pulling out vegetables, chickens, um, meat that's just expired by a day. Yeah. Taking the chance, you know? Yeah. I did I did night fill at Woolies and you know, sometimes yeah, I'd look at these products and you know, when they're throwing things out and I'm like, Man, just give it to homeless people, you know? Well, yeah, that's the thing. That's what pisses a lot of people off. They're not allowed to give it out because they don't want a line of people. So there's loopholes. You're meant mm. to throw it in the bin. Yeah. So you throw it in the bin, but I guess a footsie in the situation yeah. will forget to padlock the dumpster bin yeah. to make it easy for people to access it at night. Yeah. So That's good, man. You know, I love shit like that, man. Yeah, it's oh, there's always... You can't lose takes. that. Mm. Once you lose that, we're not fucking people anymore. Yeah, we're we're just you follow all the rules to the letter. You're a fucking, I'm you're a cunt. I'm sorry to say it, but yeah. you gotta have a piece of moral fiber within you to say fuck the rules. I'm not gonna lock the bin because there are people starving. That food's going to waste anyway. So fuck it. Let some people eat it. Yeah, that's what makes you human. You know, like mm. that humanity. But yeah, when you follow things to the T, and then the things that you're following is it's corrupt. Then you know you've become part of the machine, haven't you? Yep. So it's good that there's always that one individual. And all it takes is one, really, to just go, no, nah, no, nah, this is how it's going to be done um, in, in the betterment, I guess, of hu- you know humanity. And, yeah, we're eating because of Futsum and you got all these homeless people able to access the bin because of this one individual. Mm. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's a beautiful life here. There is a struggle here as well, and we did come to the realization that it's different kind of problems here, but it's more, like, I'd prefer the problems here than the problems back home. So. Absolutely. Can I take you back to Ethiopia, the geopolitical landscape at the time when there was a civil war unfolding? Could you tell me loosely what, what that civil war was about? Because the only reason I'm trying to build a jigsaw puzzle in my head, because the week prior to this one, I spoke to Izzy Ali. Mm. He's another fantastic comedian here on the Melbourne circuit. And Izzy was uh, from, Su- no, where's Izzy from? So- Somalia? Mm-hmm. And Izzy was telling me that there was uh, his father and grandfather were off fighting against Ethiopia. Yeah. So I knew there was conflict between Somalia and Ethiopia. So much so that Izzy told me that in the 1500s, the Ottoman Empire gave cannons to Somalia to point at the Ethiopians and kill them, Mm. right, for religious warfare. So I'm interested... Uh, I knew that there was war between Somalia and Ethiopia, but what was going on inside Ethiopia? What was the civil war about in Ethiopia? Do you know at the time? Um, well, the, the civil war uh, was it religious based or so? If if a civil war broke out in broke out in Ethiopia, it wouldn't be like Somalia would not get in would not be involved unless. No, I know that, but what was the civil war about in Ethiopia? Uh, I would have. No idea because I haven't looked into it. Um, but there is a current civil war that's happening right now. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. So oh, one one broke out in November. 
between the central government and the northern region of Ethiopia, uh, Tigray. So it's always the northern suburbs, man. <laughs> Fucking northern <laughs> suburbs, just full of wogs so and degenerates. <laughs> Fucking hell. So you know, and people are. And saying, what are the northern suburbs of Ethiopia doing? What are they? What do man, they want? Do they want a military coup? They're the one that's getting ethnically cleansed. Oh shit! Yeah, so they're getting. So the central government. Is yeah, because it's like who the are they ethnically cleansed? Aren't they all Ethiopians? Nah, because there is. That's the thing with Ethiopia. It's got like. I'm pretty sure it's got over... Firstly, there's like 96 or 104 million people in Ethiopia. Is that your population? Yeah. Holy yeah. fuck, we're 23 million. Yeah. So that's what we have in Ethiopia. And there is, I believe, over 400 dialects. Wow. Um, and I'm pretty sure there is... Uh, oh, man. We have two, English and Bogan. Yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and I don't know how many uh, tribes there is, but there's quite a few. Uh, but the main tribes, like I think the Oromo tribe, Oromo tribe is about uh, 30% of Ethiopia. And then you've got, so they're the biggest, 36, 30%. Okay, so it's not a religious It's issue. not a religious, no, it's, it's a tribal. tribal, yeah. So it's not hard to understand when you just think about that the indigenous Australians had over 232 dialects mm. in Australia. You see a map of indigenous wow. Australia and it's it's completely com decompartmentalized into certain yeah, tribes. Yeah, and so the So I get that. Yeah, so there's there's the tribal um so the I think the way the government uh, the governing of Ethiopia is so you've got each um uh, region is governed by its own tribe. And then you have the central government, which is everyone votes for central government which has the best interest of all the tribes, right? But sometimes the individual that's in charge on the central government, um, that's, that individual might be from that tribe, but he's supposed to be central, but he may have um, like conflicts of interest because you know he's from that tribe. So he might favor that tribe um, by, let's say, cleansing a different tribe that has conflict with that tribe. Man, it sounds like a fucking horrible game of musical chairs oh, mate, for power. It's, it's crazy. And there's too many people, not enough chairs. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, how do they? How can you unify? How do? How can they unify Ethiopia under one? Yeah. Like, what does it need? Do you know what I mean? Like, well, people are saying stop the ethnic governing and have like, um, or the tribal governing and and have like one central government, but then it's like. Uh, it ha that has, I think that when that was trialed back in, uh, they call it Derg, which is, uh, I think it was in the 1980s, when, when it was like that, when, the, when it was just one government, uh, I don't think it was good even then, and a civil war broke out then, and that was the civil war that sort of forced my mum and dad to leave Ethiopia. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, the, the war, I guess when, when that happened, they went into um, ethnic governing of their own or tribal gov governing of their own region. Um, and when you do that, everything on TV, from what I've heard, is in, that, in the language of that region. Um, so it's really easy for propagandists to be on that TV to sort of get you to think a certain way or be a certain way, right? And so now there is... So the northern region of Ethiopia, which is Tigray, and the central government, since they started clashing 
on both sides you can find one person that says not that person is heavily wrong and they deserve this and then on the other side the same person or well, uh, from a different tribe but has the same mentality so it's like never ending um and yeah it's it's definitely something that's impacted people here like i know people here that are good friends from the two different uh tribes and all of a the sudden they're not talking anymore uh, and their enemies. Even I, I get people in my DM going, "Why are you speaking about this or speaking about that? Um, why are you standing up for these? And if you don't, it means you're part of these." But I'm like, "No, I'm I'm for Ethiopia as a as a country to do better, so the Horn can do better, so Africa can do better." How many people in Ethiopia see it the way you see it? How many people in Ethiopia see your vision of? one ethiopia one unified ethiopia leads to each unified country being one greater continent in africa are you a minority still uh, i would i would definitely be a minority for sure um in so there's a lot more fighting to be done yeah in ethiopia it's like if you're if you're not pro-government then you must be anti uh if you're anti-government then you're pro uh tribal governing um and if you if you decide you're not and you're just in the middle somehow some way people will always find a way to kick you into one side and hold you accountable um but it's it will be very difficult for Ethiopia to have one central government or to just have one be unified one and not uh, as one and not have any tribal cuz it's okay to have it's okay to have your own tribal um if you want to govern yourself as a tribe i mean it's okay to do that and be proud of it and celebrate it and showcase it but it's only when you start to think you're better than the other and you try to use that i'm better than you and try to overpower and uh, but that's indicative of a lot of african like the like pride right we are proud we are very proud of our tribe yeah isn't it like uh the psychology it's like we are better because our tribe is better we have so much pride yeah, yeah, so but it's hard to put that aside. They all need to do mushrooms and fuck their ego off. And then <laughs> band together. I think it's just it's uh it's education, man. It's uh, yeah. research. It's self education. It's critical thinking. Uh, knowing how to love and uh, celebrate you without thinking you're better than someone else and overpowering that. If you want to think you're better, fine, but don't start trying to overpower the other person and make them conform to your ways and that's when the conflict really starts you know yeah um but yeah i don't know what it's going to take maybe a lot of interference from diaspora ethiopians to i guess uh you know share their knowledge of how ethiopia can work as one but even that's quite challenging because the mentality of diaspora australians uh ethiopians is completely different to ethiopians in ethiopia you know and sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad but Life is so good in in the outside Ethiopia. It's like not many diaspora would want to take the risk and go back there and get in the shithole, you know, unless you really, uh, you really want to go there and make a difference, you know. And well, that's the thing. A lot of powerful, influential people uh, migrated to America, mm. made it in the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, made it big in America, powerful, and then went back to their native countries in Europe and contributed to the political system. And reach and changed it based on Western ideals of democracy, and fixed their own backyards, so to speak. You know, so maybe a lot of people, maybe some people in uh, who are making it big in the Western world will go back and give back to their countries in Africa, 
like um, I know it sounds weird, but Akon has in a, in a in a big way. You know, yeah, he's, he's he's built schools and tried to educate his native people. Yeah, I mean, I definitely uh, try to play my part. I'm not to the degree of Akon, obviously, because I'm nowhere near that. Mm. But I definitely try to play my part from here by. Like when I do comedy shows, I donate part proceeds to uh, you know um, orphanages in Ethiopia. Um, also, like when when I just did Fringe Festival, two and a half grand was donated to Kidanamhera Children's Home in Ethiopia, mm. uh, which is an orphanage. Um, I try to play a part where I am influencing. Uh, you know, my my African people to do better and to uh, look at things from a way that sort of um, not only puts them in a better position and, and in a position where they're living their purpose and they're doing good for them and their com- whatever community they're in, but also that when they do get to that position and they're able to give, that they also pass it forward and help, uh, you know, another fellow Africa and so, uh, African and so on and so on. So I play my part, I guess, from here as much as I can by financially donating, but also like teaching African people comedy and try to get them on the comedy scene Mm. um, and, you know, holding like the show Best of Africa, showcasing African acts. Um, Yeah, so I try to to play my part. I try to self-educate myself a lot on Africa, um, but I don't speak on it on what what the problem is and how we can fix it like I'm an expert. It's just from my own personal experiences and and knowledge it's beautiful i think stand-up will be important in the future a lot of historians will look back on stand-up comedians to and to take the pulse of what was actually happening at the time yeah yeah look i um what i love about stand-up is because i grew up very quiet like you know um when you're not sure of your surroundings especially coming to like in Af- in sudan um a lot of my surroundings was chaos man so it's like i didn't say too much if anything i just listened and did what mom said so we can get out of it right Mm. and then when i came here yeah it was a safe environment but that took a while to sort of understand that it is a safe environment Mm. you know so i didn't really speak as well i'm like man if i open my mouth and say the wrong thing maybe they'll get so pissed off and ship us back you know and i don't want to maybe that's your ptsd manifesting itself you reckon well yeah i mean you were scared to act in Mm. case the action caused the consequence you saw it unfold when you were a kid in, in your native country so you just shut the fuck up yeah yeah so i, I, I didn't rigid. say i didn't say too much growing up mm. um and then now yeah as a comedian and in the public eye you know i have a lot to say and uh, a lot of the stuff that i say is about our life in sudan but also our life here and you know transitioning to the australian way of life and so yeah, my comedy is very personal to me. Yeah, that's um, what I like about it. That's why yeah, yeah I, that's what I enjoy. When I when I see you, I f- feel like I'm yeah I'm seeing Joe White. I'm getting to know you, and I, they're my favorite comedians. Yeah. Um, I love Jerry Seinfeld and all that, but I don't know anything about Jerry. My favorite comedians are ones that bear a bit of their soul as yeah. they're making you laugh along the way. Yeah. And it's like therapy, autobiographical, and of course comical. And of course, if you've been doing stand-up long enough, you make it fucking funny <laughs> um, like you do. So um, I've got to tie this up, man. We've been yeah. just chatting on for an hour here. But I just want to, um, when Time I put flies. this out, it's going to be after your show. Yeah. But I'm sure you'll be doing it across several festivals and people can still catch you. So Definitely. Yeah. Tell us a bit about it before we go. 
Um, best way to probably reach me is on my socials. So Instagram is Joe White, Joe White underscore official. Uh, and then uh, Facebook, Joe White Comedy. I've got a YouTube channel as well. People can look up. Um, but also, you can if you don't have social media, you can you can just Google www.joewhitecomedian.com and we'll take you to my page and that's how you can get a hold of me. So, yeah. I wanted to end the podcast by asking what your name was. My name is John Katsoulis. Katsoulis, Katsoulis. is a Greek word which means a man who wears a hood because mm. we were all sheep herders and yeah. bald, we wore a hood. So the only <laughs> way they could tell us You're living up to it. from the mountains, we're all bald. My yeah. whole bo- even my grandma, all of them, they're all bald. <laughs> but Katsoulis is a fucking bald. <laughs> so in Greece, when they were sheep herding, yeah. they would see out in the distance and go, who's that fucker with a hood on? It's a uh, Katsoulis. He's wearing a Katsoulis. So it's wow. got a be the Katsoulises because they're all fucking bald so they yeah. need the hood so what a beautiful story I don't have one like that I think uh, so Joe White is not my real name it's just a stage name for uh, comedy yeah but my Ethiop- Ethiopian name is Tlahun Heilu so Tlahun which is pronounced with a t- noise uh, means be shadow Tla is shadow Hun is be so Tlahun um, bee shadow Yeah Or it's like um, Shadow of a bee A buzzing bee Nah Just like Be someone's shade Oh wow Yeah So it's like uh, Like a guardian protector? Yeah You're like There's yeah like A lot of meanings like that You're like that bed That people come to lay on After a long day of uh, It's a beautiful fucking name man Yeah And if you're out there And you're making fun of that I'll call <laughs> you Shane <laughs> so yeah, Tlahun. And it's also the name of famous Ethiopian singer. That's who I was named after. Right. Yeah. And your surname? Halu. Uh, my dad's last name. Um, Do you know what Halu means? The derivative? Well, Halu. Um, so, Hayele uh, is like strong. Tigrinya. So, it's from the northern region of Ethiopia. So... Yeah, so my dad's from Adwa, which is in the northern region, and my mom is from Gondar, which is the Amhara region. So the currently the two conflicts are between those two as well, the civil war. Wow. Yeah, so uh, with, um, yeah, Hailu just, I'm not 100% sure, but it just means strength from what I gather. All right, so shadow, strength. Look at that. It's a fucking Call of Duty name. <laughs> That's a hardcore motherfucking name. Shadow Guardian Strength. <laughs> How many kills do you get on COD, man, with that name? That's awesome. I, know, I, should, I should go play it and, uh, and uh, have that name. What does that... In Greek, that in Greek means uh, no. Yeah. Kind of derisory too. Like, yeah. fuck off. Yeah. Do you want to come in? Come. Let's go. Let's go out, man. Let's go. <laughs> it's like fuck off, be gone. Yeah, no. we, it's or means no. Yeah, yeah. You gotta know, like wiggle your head though. Or better to lift your eyebrows as you say. So yeah, that's a bit creepy. Yeah, it's like fuck off. <laughs> no. What about um, yes? Nah, we don't have one. Oh, you don't. We don't do that at all. We click. It's like, is this yours? Yeah. Or if you wink at someone, it means uh, what's up? No, not really. Not no? Even. It's like, no. It's like you're looking at a girl going, what are you saying no for? This <laughs> <laughs> is weird. No. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. It's been fun, man. Thanks for, you know, whenever someone asks me to come and do a podcast or to come and have a chat, it's, it's, I guess 
to me it means that you know you have some that this person thinks you have something cool to say and they want to hear it so yeah thanks for inviting me to come on man appreciate it my pleasure man come back anytime joe white thanks very much bro thanks brother yeah